And so Thomas we see, perhaps comforting to us, that we see Thomas as that one who is inquiring and we see Thomas also as that one who is doubting. And my guess is that concerning our faith, we've been in both places. So this morning, I want us to turn to another hero in the Bible in the 14th chapter of Matthew's gospel. And we're going to look at Peter and a time when Peter, the rock on which the church would be built, how Peter was also a doubter. Let's turn to Matthew, the 14th chapter. We are going to read um, to the 33rd verse, not the 23rd verse. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. Beginning with the 22nd verse, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by waves, was far from the land, for the, wave, for the wind had, uh, was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he started walking on the water. And he came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, in this story, Peter asked to go where he'd never gone. He asked Jesus to help him go where he had never gone. And as the story goes, a familiar one to us, Jesus comes to Peter and the other disciples and he's walking on the water. You know, that phrase, walking on the water, that has stuck with us, hasn't it? That's the way we often identify Jesus as the one who can walk on water because we all know none of us can. And Peter is with the other disciples in the boat and the winds are beating on the boat and the winds are howling and the waves are coming over the, the sides of the boat and they're afraid that they're going to be lost to the sea. And Jesus comes walking on the water and he identifies himself to them and it's Peter who speaks up and says, Lord, let me come to you. And he jumps out of the boat and I don't know if he was walking on the water at first. We don't really have that. But we, we, we know that there was a time when he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. And again, he cries out because now he's not in the safety of the boat. He's in the water. 
And Jesus reaches out his hand and saves him and says, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I have a question for us this morning. Have you ever been in the boat? I've been in the boat. And I'm talking about uh, the boat where life is out of control, where the winds of life and the waves of a certain circumstance are so rocking and tossing our lives that we really don't know if we're going to survive. Have you been there? You know, I think I can address nearly any crowd and know that everyone, when asked this question, can say, yes, I've been there. You know, the thing about this sermon series we're doing right now, Unmentionables, Scott, thanks a lot. Scott knew that it would cause us to start thinking about those matters that made an impact on us and that called our faith into question or action. And such is the situation today because each and every one of us can relate to Peter. Each and every one of us know what it means to be in the middle of a storm in life and in a boat that you don't know is going to survive. For me, it was, it was cancer. And it was that terminal prognosis. Well, that's the most poignant one I can think of today. I can think of many times I've been in the boat. But I can remember from that circumstance the questions that came into my life. I mean, here I was pretty fresh out of seminary and all of a sudden uh, getting this prognosis and, and, and really going to God in prayer and wondering what prayer does. And asking questions like, does God really hear your prayers when you really need a healing who am I to be asking for a healing I mean with so many people in the world who are sick and dying who am I I was asking questions I'd never thought of before and, and here I was fresh out of seminary I, I took a class in prayer but all of a sudden when you're in the boat and these things start whirling around and and, and the waves start tossing your life. You start questioning. And, and maybe even doubting. When have you been in the boat? I've been in the water too. Figuratively speaking. Now I'm not going to claim I've ever walked on the water. But I know what it means to be called out of that boat by the Lord into a place of faith. And there you are in the midst of dealing with your circumstances by faith. And you take your eye off Jesus. And all of a sudden the circumstances that were tossing the boat. And now you're in the water and you've taken your eye off Jesus and you find yourself really in a mess. Because all of a sudden, it's up to you whether you can save yourself, and you know you can't. So storms of life have beaten me down. How about you? I know what it's like to start to sink and fearing drowning and, and, and fearing the circumstance that's going to overcome you. 
I know the experience of a relationship with God being diminished because I've taken my eyes off of the importance of the relationship. And I know what it's like when doubts start setting in. Now maybe you didn't want a preacher to be so confessional today. But I want to tell you there's no one up here who's a pastor who is any different than any of you out there when it comes to the storms of life. And when it comes to those situations that we question relating to our faith and also our doubt. We just sometimes don't want to let you know that. But we too have those questions. You know, I was thinking this past week and getting ready for this sermon and knowing that I've been preaching in Crosswalk the last several weeks, I'll have to leave here and go over to Crosswalk so I won't see you at the very end. But, but I remembered when Crosswalk began, been years ago. I remember the day that Crosswalk started. It was Sunday, of course, September the 16th, 2001. I remember we were so excited because we had just completed the big capital campaign and all the building was coming to an end. It had completely renovated our, our west campus and built new on our west side of the campus. I mean, imagine this campus without anything. The Christ Family Center, it wasn't there. And, and we had a new gym and we had a, a renovated Asbury Hall that was just like new and it was multi-purpose. We could do all kinds of meetings in there. But it was primarily renovated for worship. And I remember we had set a date some weeks in advance that on September the 16th, everything was going to be finished. You know what that's like when you're looking forward to moving into a build, building and you know everything's going to be finished so all the plans go according to, to Hoyle, so to speak. And, and we could see two weeks out that the Asbury Hall wasn't going to be finished. There would not be anything on the floor. It would be raw concrete. There wouldn't be any screens up. The room was supposed to feature five screens. It was going to be unfinished. The walls weren't going to be painted. So what were we going to do? We made a decision that we were going to start anyway. We were going to go in that hull of a building and we were going to start crosswalk on the 16th of September no matter what. Do you remember what happened on Tuesday? Tuesday before September the 16th was what we call 9-11. And we know the loss of life that took place in this country. How we were shaken to the core. How everybody in, in this country was in a boat and on that Sunday, not just here, but all across the nation, the houses of worship were packed beyond an Easter Sunday. And the day that Crosswalk began, there were 350 people who had crawled into that boat to be with others in the midst of the tossing and the turning that was what was going on in this country, literally in this world. And, and sometimes we try to forget that because it was so painful. But when I think of a collective experience of us all realizing we're in the boat together, I, I always go back to what was the reality 
of 9-11. And in days to follow, when fear and suspicion became the order of the day and how we looked upon everyone from the Middle East with just a little bit of skepticism. And when the economy went south and people started losing their jobs and when giving to nonprofits and churches started diminishing because people were afraid and budgets were tightened. And when war broke out and people started going to war and and losing loved ones in battles. And when the post 9-11 storms started resulting in personal tensions that made an impact on relationships and families. And people who care for people, all of a sudden we were overwhelmed with the burdens of others and trying to work through our own burdens as well. And, and I remember for weeks there were people in church like never before in a September or an October. And I'll have to admit preachers were a little bit excited because we thought, you know, this is a terrible thing that's happened, but it, it's wonderful that we're stepping out of the boat and we have our eyes properly focused on Jesus. And here we are together and the essence of our faith is feeding our souls with peace. And then a few months later, those crowds started going back to normal. And now this many years later, most all mainline pastors can say, our attendance is down in our worship services compared to what it was 17 years or so ago. I do remember something else that came out of that situation. We started seeing an opportunity to do more advertising, to letting more people in the Dallas area know we were open for business and we were here for them. And, 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 and we got a letter that I dug up this week from a man who professed to be a die-hard agnostic. Now, who writes a letter to a preacher identifying himself as a die-hard agnostic? I want to read it to you. He said, I want to congratulate you on your new ad campaign. I heard a commercial on KDMX this morning and was intrigued by the positive message. I thought initially that it was going to be a Mormon thing. I love that. And I was surprised to find out it was a Methodist church. Good job on your messages and on your inclusiveness and your values. While I'm a diehard agnostic, I hope you are truly able to help those who need it the most and appreciate what you're trying to do for all of them. <laughs> I thought to myself, what am I going to do with a letter like this? What's the story behind the diehard agnostic and his comments? 
You know, an agnostic is defined as someone denying God's existence is provable. A person who believes that it's impossible to know whether or not God exists. I really did have some things to say to him. What do you think I did? I wrote him a letter. Didn't know any other way to contact him. So I said, and the rest of this sermon, I'm going to be talking to him so you can just overhear it. Thank you for your encouragement about our ad campaign. Thanks for taking the time not only to write but to share your name and your address with me so we could eventually talk like this. But in case you're here today in in the worship service, I wanted to share a few things from my heart first. I simply want to say up front, thanks for the encouragement of your statement. I hope you are truly able to help those who need it the most and appreciate what you're doing for all of them. You're right on. What we are trying to do is reach out to those who need it the most. We're trying to touch the lives of those who know that they need God and those who have not acknowledged their need yet. You see, I believe that our congregation is recognizing that our need is for a relationship with God and that's the most basic need we have as human beings. We're created by God and there's a longing in our souls. You know, deep within us, there's a longing to be complete, to be made whole. And there's really nothing that fills that void but God. And as we know, in the Christian church, in Jesus. And and then in in, in the letter, I tried to push it just a little bit more, tried to give him another agnostic that maybe he could relate to. And I said, you know, you've heard of Leo Tolstoy, right? One of the brilliant authors of history who in the 19th century wrote War and Peace that is described as one of the two or three most outstanding novels in world literature. He too was an agnostic. And in 1879, he wrote a book called Confession. And in a confession, he tells his boat story. He tells of rejecting Christianity as a child. He became ambitious for money, he said in a confession. And he inherited an estate and made a large amount of money, but he was so empty. And one question, he said, that brought him to the brink of suicide was this. Is there any meaning in my life which will not be annihilated by my inevitable death? He said he searched through science and philosophy and the only answer he could find was to why do I live was that in the infinity of space and the infinity of time, infinitely small particles mutated with infinite complexity. And he said that wasn't very satisfying. 
He didn't find that satisfying answer, he said, to where he came from, to where he was heading, to who he was, the questions that he had about life until he met some poor peasant women who were Russians in his homeland. And he said it was the Russian people, the peasants, who taught me of faith in Jesus And he realized that only in the mysterious relationship with Jesus that he could find the answer. He said, our souls long for God and relationship with God. It's our most basic need and it's the place where we go to live as we've never lived before. God stands there for us, waiting for us by faith to get out of the boat. I ended my letter by thanking him for hearing me and letting me share my belief. And one more thing I said, I also want to sincerely invite you and any other agnostic or anyone who doesn't know relationship with Jesus to step out of the boat by faith. And know that our Lord Jesus calls us and will extend his hand And still, whatever storm you face in life. And furthermore, in relationship with you, Jesus will lead you to abundant life. I believe that. That's what he promised. You know, it really is up to you. It's up to me. The decision was his. The decision is ours. Whether we just keep rocking in the boat wondering if we're going to survive. Or we by faith step out of the boat. Right in the midst of the turmoil in essence. With our eyes on Jesus. Who has promised to always be there with us. Who will always extend his hand. So I guess my question today is, have you put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water? Put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea. Take a look at yourself and you can look at others differently. By putting your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. I don't know where you are this morning. In the boat or in the water? I don't know if in the boat everything's kind of calm and steady. Are your boats tossing and turning? I don't know if you're in the water and you feel like you're sinking. If so, look up. Because the one 
who has promised to be with us is always there. I believe it. Do you? Well, well, I wasn't just asking that for a lesson in silence. Do you? Really? Okay, I'm satisfied. 